Rumor has it there is a secret base hidden underneath the Archelaus. So have you ever been in a spaceship? Don't try this at home. Secrets of Area 51 Reveal. I'm from Series A, not Series B. Who are you, huh? Yeah, hey, Mama. It's time to open your eyes, open your mind, and shift your paradigm. You're tuned in to another episode of All Night with Liberty, a podcast in which we investigate and discuss high strangeness and where of the world. We want to remind you that we're not and probably will never be experts in the topics we discuss. We may miss bits of research or we may misspeak at times, but we will also always encourage you to do your own research and vet your own sources and come to your own conclusions. I'm your host, Taylor, and across from the virtual desk to me tonight is my brother, Seb. Seb, how are you? Hi, Howdy, everybody. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, you know, we've survived another month. Uh, uh, we're now getting into August. Um, yeah. Time of year when... The state catches on fire, and it's kind of smoky outside. Uh, a little bit. A little bit. Um, so, how are you? I'm I'm doing pretty all right. Um, July has been uh, quite a month. Mm. Um, I know um, when we recorded last month, I was uh, sharing the fact that I had injured my right arm mm. uh, lifting a very heavy box. Um, and the beginning of July was um, very exciting, as I finally got to see a specialist about that. Uh, learned that I literally like detached my tendon Ugh. from my forearm, um, and then proceeded to, uh, long story short, have surgery to reattach it. Wow! So actual sur- not psychic surgery, nothing with crystals, <laughs> actually scalpels no. and stitches. And although I do technically can say I have an implant <laughs> in my arm, uh, it is a titanium button <laughs> that actually um, the the end of the tendon gets sutured to and then they um trigger warning for anybody who might be a little squeamish i'll try to be very quick about this they drill a hole in my bone and they pop the button through it and that holds it in place while the tendon kind of heals and reattaches itself uh to my uh forearm so i've got a I got a halfway decent little scar here, and um, I I was in a, a splint for a couple of weeks, and um, am now thankfully out of that. Mm. Um, and I can use my arm in so much as range of motion stuff. Mm. Um, so just moving mm-hmm. my arm, making sure that I can extend it all the way, kind of stretching the tendon out, and being like, okay, you can still do this. Look how it feels, and. Um, I can, you know, use a mouse, and I can type okay, I can handwrite again okay, um, but I can't lift anything. So this is your right arm? This is my right arm, and, yes, and which is also my dominant. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you're right-handed, I think, yeah. So. I am. Oof. I am, yeah. Yikes. So it's it's no turning wrenches, no turning screwdrivers, Ugh. no, like, uh, you know, we, we got pizza this evening. I had to make sure to grab the bottom of the boxes with my left hand. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, and... Trust me, my arm will still tell me if it's like if I make a mistake and pick something up or, you know, reach a certain way and my wrist rotates and it goes, Ooh, not yet. Ugh. So oh, um yeah, it's 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 gonna be range of motion for, for a little while. I mean it may it may be the end of the year before I can really kind of like 
use it like I used. Okay. So we shall see. But um, it's not causing me any pain right now. That's good. Um, you know, uh, surgery went well. I guess I technically have missing time now because of anesthesia. <laughs> right. Um, you know, and and I came out with an implant. I mean, look at that. There you go. Look at that. I've I've. You know, the only thing that was missing was a UFO. Oh, gee. Um, but yeah, that that was kind of it's kind of really occupied a big chunk of my July, and I had an entire week of recovery where um, I mean, I really I sat and I read books a lot mm-hmm. and I watched TV, but did I sit down and like work on show notes or anything? No, <laughs> not one bit. And then once I did get back to work, work had me slammed for a while. So. The fact that I actually was still able to do some research, and not only that, actually read two whole books um, in preparation for tonight, I'm still a little stunned by. So, yeah, that's that's that. Um, Folks, you'll notice John is not with us. He is traveling this month. He and his fiance are back east. He will hopefully be back with us in September because I'm very excited about next month's topic, Mm -hmm. and I think it means... We're going to have lots of soundboard clips, which I really want John around for. Mm. Um, Seb, your July, uh, you survived it okay? Yeah, it was a long month. Um, work was really difficult. Um, went down to see mom. Um, perhaps we've, I survived. <laughs> yeah, I guess technically there's still another day left uh, as of our record time right now. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, you know, looking forward to August, looking forward to tonight's episode. Um, so yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I tell you what, dude, what is new in your weird world? Has July given you anything weird? Yes, there have been a number of weird things. The most notable is that uh, listeners to our podcast might know that I am a, a government employee, and there's recently our union elected a new president. Our union is SEIU Local 1000, represents... Wow, 1,000. Yeah, represents about 100,000 government workers here in California. Um, so it's a big it's a big deal. Um, a gentleman by the name of Richard Lewis Brown won the presidency, and he is a numerologist. Um, really? Yeah, there's a great uh, interview with him in the Sacramento Bee newspaper. I'm just going to quote a little bit of it. It says here, he often signs emails and texts me- text messages with the numbers 7437, whose significance to him incorporates elements of the Bible, the beginning and end of human life, his family, and local 1000's history. Quote, those numbers came from God. Seven days to start life, right? Seven days to end life. If you take the the numbers 7437 and add them up, you get 21. That's the year I won the election, 21. If you take seven times four, you get 28, right? That's the smallest number of days in the month. Add three to it, that's the most numbers of days in the month. Uh, he added interesting. And, yes, he added and multiplied the numbers in different combinations. He touched on his siblings, the number of California state worker unions, the tribes of Israel, the date in 1977 that former Governor Jerry Brown signed the law allowing collective bargaining for public sector unions, and the date in 2003 when SEIU Local 1000 officially split from a larger union representing other government workers. Quote. But I guess the most important thing is, if you say, well, I'm not into all that religion stuff or spiritual stuff, well then just add them up and go play blackjack at the casino and get your money and tell them Richard sent you, unquote. Oh my so that's the new president of my union. Uh, apparently, apparently a fan of gambling. 
gambling numbers, the tribes of Israel. Yeah, I'm, I'm all on board. Wow. Yeah. Um, wow. So if you notice anything with the number 7437 in it, either you, Taylor, or any of our listeners, please let me know because I'm intrigued, you know? Yeah, you know what? You kind of put that out there into the zeitgeist. Mm-hmm. I, if I start seeing those numbers, even separately, like I see a 74 yeah. or a 37 popping up, oddly enough, this is episode number seven. Episode number seven, right? Um, so that that's a little strange too. Yeah, there you go. Um, wow, that's pretty impressive, dude. What about you? Anything weird stuff going on in your world? Well, yeah, I mean a little bit. Um, earlier this month, I um, I I well, let me say last month for Father's Day, um, I got a uh, a Kindle. Oh, cool. Um, which has been very helpful because obviously with an arm. That I couldn't really use for part of the month. Um, having something that I can just hold with one hand uh, and read has been fantastic. Mm. Um, so that 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 turned out to be very lucky. But I, I got done with the book that I was previously reading. I was kind of looking around for something, um, and uh, I came across a book. Well, actually, I have a link to it in the show notes um, by Adam Go Rightly called "Saucer Spooks and Pooks," mm. um, and it came out this year. Um, came out earlier, I think in the springtime, and I've heard some good reviews about it. I didn't really have a deep understanding of what it was about. I just figured it was, you know, about ufology and stuff. And, and of course, being saucers, spooks, and kooks, it was probably kind of earlier ufology. And I was like, well, you know, it's, it's a good price, you know, on Kindle. Let's go ahead and get it. You know, it'll be a fun read. <laughs> and right off the bat, it's about exactly what we're talking about tonight. Um, I got a book about uh, the whole Dulce, Benowitz, Doty, um, and so much more. Mm. Like, uh, Adam Gerrightly does this amazing job just kind of connecting all these different legends that kind of permeate through modern ufology um, and kind of ties it back to and, and shows, you know, I think very clearly um, where some of these paths uh, cross and intersect and how things kind of, you know, permeate. And he's got interviews with people, you know, who were uh, were there and who are still with us. It's a fantastic uh, book, and I am going to highly recommend it. And it's, you know, a big source of uh, information for at least my part of tonight's show. Mm. Um, so, yeah, without meaning... To find a book about Dulce, I found a book about Dulce mm. on the month when we were recording about Dulce. There you go. Wow. That's um, so that was that was weird, and I, I wasn't complaining. It's a great book, and it's it's honestly it's a it's a page turner. Mm. Um, I was very gripped by it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, as the legend goes, two and a half miles under the Archuleta Mesa outside Dulce, New Mexico, exists a seven-level base. I keep wanting to say it's a seven-layer dip, but that's different. <laughs> Exists a seven-level base that's a joint operation between the U.S. military and extraterrestrials. The legend of the Dulce base is also something of a nexus point for various other legends that permeate modern ufology. Cattle mutilations, the MJ-12 documents, the whole Eisenhower agreement with the Greys, battles between humans and aliens, large-scale government infrastructure connecting various alleged underground bases, breakaway civilizations, and, and so much more. 
Now, some of these legends may not have had their start in the late 1970s when Paul Benowitz was first contacted by Richard Doty. But Doty's ability to manipulate Benowitz along with the continued proliferation of ufologists sharing information before, well, the information superhighway came along, served as something of an interstate cloverleaf for both information and, unsurprisingly, disinformation that proceeded to spread through a network of people whose names are familiar to those of us studying the phenomenon today. Many things that we touch on tonight we'll probably have to circle back around to in the future and give most of them their own episode. But this month, we board the elevator of mystery and punch the key for the bottom floor of the Dulce Bay story. That's right. I couldn't have said it better myself, folks. We're going through the looking glass. We're going where fact is reality falsehoods, government disinformation, what is real, what is not real, what is up, what is down, all focusing on the northwest corner of New Mexico where Dulce is located, I think? Correct, yeah. Yeah. I actually made a point earlier today of, you know what, I'm going to slap a map of that area into our show notes Mm. just so we can kind of reference how far things are from each other. Yes, it is in the northwestern corner, not quite the exact corner, um, but it is right up on the uh, Colorado border um, along, looks like Interstate 64 there, mm. on the uh, Hickory Apache Nation mm-hmm. Reservation. Yeah, and you were talking about the, one of the books that you were reading for tonight's episode. Um, yes. I, I really have to highly recommend, if any of our listeners want to learn more, one of the resources that I found most helpful were, was the research of a guy named Greg Bishop. He published a book called... Um, Project Beta, the story of Paul Benowitz. Um, and then, of course, there's the... I think you've also seen the film Mirage Men. Yes. Uh, John uh, Lundberg and Mark Pilkington's documentary film, which touches on this issue as well. Um, yeah, and actually just uh, just yesterday evening, I managed to finish uh, the book oh, okay. of the same name, Mirage Men, which actually, I mean, the, the, the documentary is good, and, and I think we're going to have a link to that in the show notes. Mm-hmm. Um, but the book goes much deeper, not just into the story of uh, Benowitz and and Richard Doty, um, but into just a lot of how disinformation itself kind of, you know, shapes some of the narrative behind the, the, we'll call it the UFO mystery, the UFO phenomenon, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, and how it's it's often used and, and, you know, quite effectively um, to throw something sensational out there and everybody gets focused on the sensational and they miss the mundane but you know almost more important reality that's happening like the old magician's trick watch the right hand while the left hand does something right right kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but there's i mean literally there is so much that kind of intersects in this era and in this area that we're talking about that i almost i almost don't know where to start so said so why don't you leave yeah and um, i'll kind of duck sh- in and out here sure i th- i think the story has to begin with the character of paul benowitz from what i understand paul benowitz was a gentleman um he lived in albuquerque new mexico mm-hmm. he had a he's basically an electronic engineer kind of an electronic whiz um had an interest in ufos um at times suffered from some mental health issues and he lived literally on the basically the border of uh, Kirtland Air Force Base in uh, in Albuquerque. Yeah, in um, the southeastern corner of, of Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically in the late 1970s, um, he was witnessing strange lights in the sky and believed that they were UFOs um, and wanted to investigate further. And um, I'm probably oversimplifying a lot of things, but... 
for the sake of brevity, he basically um, started uh, conducting electronic surveillance on what he thought were unidentified flying objects flying over right. Kirtland Air Force Base. Yeah. And as a good loyal American, tried to interest base security and eventually the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. Yep. Kind of give him a pretty say heads up, like, hey, I think there's something going on here. And, and basically was invited onto the base and presented some of the evidence he, he had accumulated. I think one of the really key things to note is that, if, uh, to the best of my knowledge, at the time, well, there's basically a huge mountain right there called Manzanano. Manzano and mm-hmm. um, I believe at the time it was the, basically it's this huge mountain that, the government hollowed out and used as a storage facility for nuclear weapons. And at that time, the late 70s, early 80s, it was the largest stockpile of nuclear weapons anywhere on the face of the earth. So we're talking about a very sensitive government installation. Um, right. And it's my understanding, basically, that Mr. Benowitz presented a lot of this information to the base security and whatnot. And, you know, I think there's a usual... The, 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 uh, the usual pattern of whenever a person approaches the government with claims of aliens or UFOs, the, 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 the typical reaction we see in movies or television is just that the government's going to brush those people off and say, you know, what are you doing? Don't bother me. But I think in this instance, it was, it was kind of the opposite. I think that um, some of the people on the base became slightly concerned because some of the electronic surveillance that Mr. Benowitz was conducting, they feared, either rightly or wrongly, may have been catching inadvertently evidence of classified programs going on. Right. Um, And they felt that they had a problem here because they didn't know, you know, how much he he had learned, if anything. Were there other people in the UFO community he was sharing his data with that, you know, was was this going to be a security problem, basically? And that's where kind of a a character shows up on the stage named named, uh, Richard Doty. Um, And what's your takeaway been about who Richard Doty was and his role in this whole story. Well, I, you know, it, it's it's also worth noting that that one of the reasons um, that I understand that they kind of took such an interest in Benowitz was that um, um, I've read that there was some evidence that um, a an intercepted uh, Soviet communique or transmission or something, had mentioned Benowitz at one point. Mm, interesting. Um, so, and I don't remember how early in his saga that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, it's true. Um, you know, Benowitz is obviously, he's collecting this data, and he is, um, at least he believes that he's decoding these transmissions, too. Um, so, you know, Doty comes on the scene um, at first primarily to kind of like scope him out and be like, okay, how much how much has he actually collected? Is he actually you know receiving um, sensitive information that we need to be concerned about? Mm-hmm. Um, because as a member of the FOSI, um, part of what you do is counterintelligence, mm-hmm. um, and so as um, as they kind of uh, uh, assess what Benowitz knows, um, they and, I, and I'm saying they because I don't I don't believe this was you know solely uh, Richard Doty just completely uh, in charge of this whole thing. I'm sure there were people that he reported back to, and those people said, "Okay, go ahead and 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 you know tell Benowitz X, Y, and Z." Right. Um, so I'm I'm going to use they, even though it was Doty doing the main interfacing. Um, but, you know, they decided to, um, play up the, uh, UFO angle, 
Definitely, yeah. From what, what research I've done, it's, it, it basically sounds like Dodi and his ilk go to Benowitz, and they say, they don't say, usually we, we think of the government as saying, you know, aliens aren't real, UFOs aren't a national security threat. And in this case, it's the opposite. Dodi is going to Benowitz and saying, yes, we think you have discovered a nefarious alien plot. And one of the things that Dodi does is try to encourage Benowitz's belief that there is a underground alien base over 100 miles away from Albuquerque in the area of Dulcing, New Mexico. Mm-hmm. The idea behind this, I think, is basically Dodi's thinking, okay, we need to get Benowitz's attention off of Curlin Air Force Base and direct it to towards a part of the state where there's actually no sensitive government installations, where there's no national security projects happening, and get him out of our hair in a sense and point him in that direction. One of the things that Greg Bishop talks about in his book is that there were some projects going on at Kirtland, classified projects that were um, attempting to allow um, ground-based telescopes to view spy satellites. There was some technology being developed that allowed the telescopes to be able to compensate for the uh, way that the Earth's atmosphere makes it kind of hazy when you're trying to look at a a satellite. There was basically like they were manipulating mirrors so that you could get a really crystal clear view of the different satellites going overhead. And there were actually, they could identify like Russian spy satellites. And there were even some ways that you could basically shoot little lasers at them that would make them uh, turn on their access so the camera wasn't pointing at like the nuclear storage weapons area or something like that. Gotcha. So the from what Bishop's writing about he's basically saying that's the kind of stuff that they're kind of worried that maybe Benowitz is getting getting a handle on and we need to convince them that hey you know go look over here don't go look at this stuff. Um, and it's really interesting because they talk about how Doty basically provides Benowitz with a personal computer computer that Doty claims will help uh, decode the alien messages Benowitz thinks he's picking up. And supposedly, the computer came pre-installed with software that would intentionally generate fake alien messages. Right. Uh, which is just so... I mean, it depends how you look at it. You either have to say that it's, that's like really darn clever or really, really creepy and insidious. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and, and me, I'm over here doing the... Why not both? Yeah. <laughs> right. Uh, because it really is both. I mean, on, on the one hand, you do have to kind of admire the fact that it's like, oh, okay, we're you're, you guys are kind of playing the game this deep, mm-hmm. you know, because you, you've gained the confidence of Benoists. And, you know, so often people in ufology, you know, they, they, they want to feel like they're, like they're the ones who are going to figure this out. Mm. They're the ones who are going to solve the mystery, and they, they, they want to be or like to be kind of at the center of like this adventure that on some level, um, and, I, and I want to be cautious when I say this because, you know, I want to be respectful to the fact that, that there is a, a mental health aspect mm. um, <clears throat> to this um, because it's very easy to kind of really deeply fall down the rabbit hole of paranoia and kind of let that consume your life. Um, I've, I've been there. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's it's easy to go, you know, I, I can, I, what I'm trying to say is I, I can easily see being in Benowitz's shoes wanting to be like, oh my God, I'm on the verge of discovering something amazing. I've mm-hmm. gained the confidence of, of someone who, who works inside and, and oh my gosh, they're gonna they're gonna provide me with you know 
um, you know, documents that expose what's going on. And oh my gosh, they they've got this uh, computer that that can help me uh, decode these transmissions more. And and you're not able to kind of take that step back objectively and go, okay, what what is this guy getting out of it? Mm. You know, what is Dodie getting out of it? Um, and so you've got these blinders on. Him. You don't you don't see the fact that no, this actually is really kind of creepy. Um, because they're they're playing him and being like we're just going to keep we're just going to keep feeding these sensational things to him and keep him thinking that it's all aliens and and they're getting these messages and I mean Doty goes to the point of um, from my understanding actually placing props on the ground around and on Archuleta Mesa right like like you know fake ventilators. Mm-hmm you know, um, um, exhaust events mm-hmm. and stuff, so that when Paul Benowitz, who himself was a pilot, you know, flies the, you know, 160 miles or so up to uh, Dulce and that area, and he's flying over the Mesa, you know, he sees stuff that lends credence to the idea that there is an underground base here. Oh, most definitely. I mean, it sounds like it's the most elaborate production being put on for the benefit of misleading him and... And unfortunately, kind of feeding into his paranoia. I mean, the theories that Benowitz kind of came out of all of this with seem to encompass so many different UFO themes that are really common in popular culture today. Cattle mutilations, alien abductions, implants, U.S. alien treaties, all this kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, at, at one point, unfortunately, Benowitz's family had to kind of send him to a mental health facility. Um, and Benowitz, throughout all of this, he's basically trying to type up all of his findings into some a paper, basically, that eventually he calls Project Beta. And he would send this to politicians and other UFO groups and, and individuals. And um, I think... I'm pretty sure I found a text of it online, and there's some of it in some of the information. Then there is pretty amazing. Uh, let's see. At one point, uh, the document says the aliens will allow no one abducted to go out without an implant. After insertion, knowledge of it is wiped out. All indications are that communication with the aliens cannot happen without the implant. Then it says cattle mutilations. It appears that the humanoids are fed by a formula made from humans or cattle material or both. And then it says the aliens are picking up and cutting, as the aliens call it, many people every night. Each implanted individual is apparently ready for the pull of their quote-unquote switch. Whether all implants are totally effective, I cannot predict, but conservatively, I would estimate at least 300,000 people have been implanted in the U.S. and at least 2 million people worldwide. So it's basically a overarching worldwide conspiracy that he thinks he's uncovering, basically, where right. alien abductees are implanted with in- implants that the aliens can throw a switch and basically take over those people's minds, basically, you know? Yeah, um, exactly. I mean, it's, 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 it's like, hmm, how do I say this? It's the plot of the greatest UFO movie I've never seen, you know? I mean, <laughs> it, in, if, in terms of its entertainment value, it's huge. I mean, yeah. if you look at it from that angle, it's like, you know, the X-Files and then some, you know what I'm saying? Completely. Yeah. Completely. Like, I, I one of the things that, that I had read, um, was that the whole idea of cattle mutilation um, uh, was likely a uh, cover story started as disinformation to cover up uh, research um, post-Project Gas Buggy. Project Gas Buggy was, I believe, late 1960s, um, and there was a spot not far, maybe just a, a few dozen miles, 
from the Dulce area where the government used, they were, it was part of, I think it was called a Project Plowshare, where they were trying to find peacetime uses for um, nuclear weapons. Mm -hmm. And part of it was effectively, um, basically, uh, nuclear fracking, Mm -hmm. um, where they would set off a bomb and they would uh, use it to release a lot of natural gas um, that they could then, um, you know, harvest and use. Unfortunately, and I don't know why it didn't occur to anyone, um, the natural gas that they then collected was heavily radioactive. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, it is uh, stated, it is implied that um, the uh, government research into the, the after effects of Project Gas Buggy was basically to um, kind of collect up cattle and uh, you know, see how much radiation had settled in two parts of them as an after effect of this project. Um, and it's believed that the cattle mutilation story um, kind of germinated out of this. Um, so rather than the government actually coming out and being like, hey, we did this thing and we kind of got to check your animals, you know, we'll pay you for them. It's like, no, we're just going to come in the middle of the night, we're going to snatch them up we're going to cut parts of them up mm-hmm. and then we're going to bring them back out here and drop them off. And, um, it was UFOs. Right. Yeah. Um, now I'm not going to sit here and say that every single instance of a cattle mutilation, um, is or isn't UFO. Right. I haven't, I haven't studied them enough to say that, Oh yes. Well, it's, it's all obviously one thing or another. Um, there may well be something, you know, in the, realm of high strangest and the realm of weird um happening to some cattle um but i think the the popularized story that we all know and especially the ones kind of pushed out by linda Moulton howe for many many years um were um kind of kind of came from this original germination um rick Doty even completely played Linda Moulton Howe at one point with the promise of, you know, effectively UFO disclosure. Right. Yeah. And, and he kept her and uh, HBO on the line um, promising stuff for years before HBO finally was like, look, we're, we're not doing this project anymore. Mm-hmm. And then just left her out to dry. Yeah. I, I, there's a character in the whole of this whole story by the name of Gabe Valdez. I think he used to yes. be a New Mexico state trooper. And he was up in the Dulce area, I think even before Benowitz shows up on the scene, but they eventually become, I guess, friends or, or colleagues. Yes. Yeah. Um, and he was very heavily um, involved in investigating numerous reports of cattle mutilation in that part of the state in the 70s. Um, and yeah, there. I think you're right about the Project Gas Buggy angle, because I think... If I'm remembering correctly, Gabe Valdez and his, his 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 associates they would you know investigate some of these cattle mutilation sites and they find things you wouldn't expect aliens to leave like things like gas masks or mm-hmm. radar chaff all these yeah. sorts of things where you make it makes it look like it's more of a you know a covert government thing going on rather than an alien thing going on definitely um, yeah exactly and, and come on people gas masks cost money they're just leave them behind <laughs> right it's wasteful our tax dollars be government wasted. waste right right, right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned something though that's really important to touch on that this character rich Richard Doty um, from the Air Force Office of Special Investigations. I mean, not only is he messing around with Benowitz, but he is 
also messing around with other people in the UFO research community. Yeah. What do you? What's your take on Doty and his motivations? What's your gut feeling on the issue? Um. Oh man. I. You know that. That's a really. That's a really good question. I mean, I think at the at the end of the day, mm-hmm. um, you know. I think I think really and truly he is he is in some ways the trickster incarnate, mm-hmm. um, you know, for for lack of better terms, because I I feel like there from everything I've read, mm-hmm. I've read two entire books um, just this month about him. You know, I've I've seen the movie Mirage Man. I've 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 seen him discussed in other settings and stuff, and you know, I I think really. At the end of the day, and I say this without ever having met the man, um, I think for a long time there is is part of him that um, you know did it because it was his job. Obviously, mm-hmm. um, I almost think, and I'm again, I'm no psychologist by any means. Um, I think there's part of him that enjoyed it. He enjoys the game. Mm-hmm. You know, he enjoys the the um, playfulness of it. Mm-hmm. Not in so much that. It is playful. He likes being able to drop these breadcrumbs of disinformation. He likes being able to, you know, um, drop something sensational and watch it spread mm-hmm. as it as 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 the game of telephone is played, you know, through the ufological community. Right. Um, and it's like, okay, how how far will this nugget of information that I made up go. Where where will I hear it next? Where will I see it next? Right. How far will it travel, especially pre-internet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, I mean, that really is telling. Um, because you've got to be communicating by letter, by phone, and all this other stuff. I mean, once the internet hits, everything kind of changes mm-hmm. um, in terms of that. But, you know, in the early days, I mean, I think there, there was part of that that's just kind of like, all right, Here's this crazy thing. Let's see how far they take it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and it and it really goes far. And it really ultimately, um, you know, as as certain other names get involved in this story, it really really polarizes the entire ufological community, especially like when they're having you know like their their um, like the international UFO conventions and stuff um, throughout the eighties. Uh, it's it's fascinating to me that Doty like. He'll, he'll, like, literally just attend these conferences or sometimes even speak at the conferences. You know what I mean? Um, and I think you're right. I think there's a part of it where it's like at one point he was getting paid to do this and then he uh, he just starts doing it as a hobby almost. You know, that's my gut feeling. I mean, I have no evidence for that. Um, yeah, I, from from what I read, you know, his, um, his position within the government, um, you know, uh, moves around a few times um, without any really hard backstory on any of it. It sounds like he does end up over in uh, Wiesbaden, Germany at one point, um, and he may have gotten in trouble for kind of like um, uh, taking a disinformation project a little too far, according to his superiors. And he's basically, you know, as the story goes, you know, I, I feel like I've got to couch everything we say today as, as the story goes, um, because, you know, parts of the story, it, it's it's a little hearsay, but it sounds like he actually gets bumped down uh, back to Kirtland, I think maybe even working in the mess hall. Yeah. And then ultimately, um, 
leaves the military and goes to work, I think, I want to say for a sheriff's office somewhere. Because by the time, and you know, I'm reading Mirage Men, and by the time, that's about 2006, 2007, where he meets the authors of the book um, at a convention in Laughlin, Nevada, he's like, oh, I'm just here as a private citizen. I'm here as a private citizen. So, um, you know, I mean, granted, he can say that all he wants. You know, we don't really know. I think by that point, I mean, let's be honest, at that point, it's almost almost 30 years on from when he first contacts Benowitz, mm-hmm. um, you know, he could still be so deep in everything. It's, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing to me because there's so many I- incredible parts of the Dulce story. I mean, at one point Benowitz is like, you know, walking around with, you know, armed with a rifle and he, he's the only place that he feels that he can successfully shield his mind from the alien beams is like the inside of his like, like Oldsmobile or something wrapped in tinfoil. But for me, yeah. for me personally, the craziest, the absolute craziest part of this whole story is Bill Moore. Bill Moore and his, his involvement in all of this. Because for me, Bill Moore is one of the most fascinating characters in the whole of UFO studies. Yeah, not, let's talk Bill. Yeah, not only is he the co-author of the very first book ever written about the Roswell crash, but he also published the Majestic 12 document. So, there it is. So here's the thing. Let's say Roswell really happened. Let's pretend the MJ-12 documents are real, right? The idea that there was an alien crash and then that the government had a secret committee to investigate it all. Okay. If those things are true, then you got to rate Bill Moore up there with, like, I don't know, Carl Bernstein or Bob Woodward, right, in terms of that level of importance. Now, let's say all of this is fake, right? Let's pretend it's none of it's real. Those two stories or ideas are so prevalent in pop culture today... Then, then Bill Moore, Bill Moore becomes like as big as like I don't know Walt Disney or George Lucas in terms of modern myth making. Like either way you cut it, I think he's like a big, really big deal. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I do know. I do know what you're saying, and yeah. I and I and I think you're right. I think I think you know Roswell for sure. You know, is is definitely kind of at that mythical level. Mm. Um, you know, someday we'll do a full episode on it, and it won't probably be very long. Mm. Um, but you know. Roswell is like ufology's JFK. I don't think we'll ever be 100% sure what happened. Um, Although I will say this, um, reading Saucer Spooks and Coops, there are some interesting connections and interesting information that I've never heard about before when it comes to Roswell um, that that does kind of make me wonder. And and we can talk about that in a little bit. Mm. Um, MJ-12, on the other hand, um, I, I wholeheartedly believe is absolute bumpies. Um I, I think it's a fascinating story. I remember listening to old Art Bell episodes where they would talk about this kind of stuff, and I thought the idea of it was really kind of fascinating, and it makes a sensational story. But I think it is an absolute like load of crap, not real. Well, well hold that thought because I want to come. I want to circle back to the MJ twelve okay. stuff in a minute. Okay. Um, okay. One of the things I want to. So basically, the, the reason that I'm fascinated with Bill Moore's connection with this case is he's a real big deal, at least in the 80s, in terms of the UFO community. And he essentially gets recruited by Richard Doty to start feeding misinformation and disinformation to Benowit. Right. And, this is true, yeah. And also to keep tabs on other UFO researchers and report their findings back to Doty and his, his folk. Yep. And basically what happens is on July 1st, 1989... 
Moore gives a speech at the MUFON International UFO Symposium in Vegas. Yeah, this is wild. He publicly announces that he has been working as a disinformation agent for AFOSI, keeping tracks on the UFO community. And apparently this speech he gave was so controversial. There were people in the audience that like had to get physically restrained from like attacking Bill, basically. Oh yeah, people were losing their minds. Catcalling and yelling at him. And it, 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 for me, it's amazing because here's a guy that had so much to lose in terms of his credibility with his peers, not only by doing this, but by also publicly admitting it. I mean, I guess if you want to look at it from Moore's angle, his, his argument or his rationale was he was saying, well, first of all, he wanted to see how the whole this information thing operated from the inside. And the second thing is he was actually promised a release of data because Doty, even to this day, does claim that aliens are real and UFOs are real. Um, and he basically went to Moore and said, hey, you help us out and I'll slip you some actual real alien information. So, but the thing is, it's like, there's so much weird stuff that happens. Well, first of all, one of the, the most, you know, bat stuff, crazy things that Moore talks about, the computer that Doty gave to Benowitz that was going to interpret all the UFO messages or whatever, decode them, Moore claims that that computer was delivered to Benowitz's house by none other than J. Allen Hynek. And Hynek, it's like, he was the civilian um, uh, scientist uh, uh, connected with Project Blue Book. Right, or UFO dad. UFO dad, he basically, you know, when he was with Blue Book, he tried to, you know, basically... Uh, explain everything away and then in his later years he kind of came out and actually became kind of a darling of the ufo community because he was then talking about how so many of these really important cases never really got investigated properly in his opinion you know yeah Um, and so here's more implying that even up up until the 1980s heineck is still working as like somebody trying to like debunk ufos in a sense that that was fast um some of the documents that Doty fed more as like his reward for doing this work. So in in 1984, Doty gave Moore a map of Area 51 that had handwritten notes on it, labeling labeling certain areas like S4 Saucer Mesa, locations that were made popular years later by Bob Lazar's accounts of working at Area 51 basically. So that the first thing that hits me for that is it's like okay, if if Bob Lazar's story is true, right? Mm-hmm. Then 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 maybe Richard Doty really is giving more some actual real data, you know? On the other hand, if Saucer Mesa and S4 and all that stuff is bogus disinformation stuff, maybe Lazar's a disinformation, you know? I feel like I'm going through or, that looking glass. Or, because honestly, I mean, you know, if, let me put it this way, if, yeah. if Lazar is also a disinformation agent, yeah. um, he's got the greatest poker game ever. Right. Because he, he comes across... Like, you know, what he saw and what he experienced is legit. But I'll say this. What if, and I'm and I'm riffing here a little bit, what if um, basically, you know, what if what if the folks at OSI, you know, have this let's call it like a nationwide um, you know, D and D map, for lack of a better term, of, you know, Okay, if, if we're gonna play this this UFO story out, you know, let let's let's pick all these different places and let's have information from each kind of all interconnect. That way, if we get somebody from out here in Massachusetts, you know, and we can reference stuff in in you know, Montauk, Long Island, um, 
you know, but there's a reference there to something else that if somebody over here in New Mexico stumbles across this, can also cross-reference. So, so you're, you're getting these little bits of story mm. kind of percolating into, you know, uh, ufological circles from different angles. And so it comes across as corroborate. Yeah, I mean, I think you might be onto something. I mean, another one of the things that Moore claims he was given by Doty as, you know, payment, I guess you might say, he was given something called the Aquarius document in 1981. Mm-hmm. I think the significant thing about that is it references MJ-12. And this is years before the MJ-12 documents came to light. And you were talking about MJ-12 earlier. And I think um, if it's all right with you, I'd like to share with the viewers out there or our listeners my personal theory about the Majestic 12 documents. Because I think yeah, it ties into go, this. Go right ahead. So... I think, and I think a lot of people feel that the M. Now, just let's back up a bit. The MJ-12 documents originated on a roll of film that was mailed to Moore or Jamie Shandery, his associate, um, back around 1984. Um, it mm-hmm. had an Albuquerque postmark, and when developed, it was several hundred pages, claiming to be a briefing book relating to President Truman's efforts to establish a group of twelve highly placed government scientists and military. F- figures to figure out the Roswell records and aliens and all that good stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So that's basically what MJ-12 claims to be. Now, and was it Truman or was it Eisenhower? I can't remember. I think it was Truman who got it started, but it was like the documents were supposedly like a briefing book for when Eisenhower came into office. Or okay, okay, okay. That sounds right. And there's a, a lot of notable UFO folks who argue in favor of their authenticity. There's a lot of people that believe they're bogus. I think there's a lot of reasons to think they're bogus. I think it's pretty much conclusive that the Harry Truman signature on the documents is somebody basically copied and pasted like a photocopy of his signature onto something. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe, I think that, that you believe that they're not authentic um, as well. True. Um, but here's what I think happened. Here's my, I mean, I've, you know, I've been reading about MJ-12 since I'm like a little kid in the ladies or whatever, you know? <laughs> right. So here's here's my theory. Here's my theory. One of the big points about the MJ-12 document is they claim that one of the head, head people of this group of 12 people was an actual real... They're all real people that are supposedly members of this group. Um, and one of the big head honchos was a, was a major scientific figure in the 1940s called Dr. Banavar Bush. Yeah. Real, real, real big deal. Big, smart guy. Now... Here's the thing that I think is really fascinating. Are you aware of the story of Dr. Robert Sarbacher? Um, I don't think so, but if you hum a few bars, <laughs> I might recognize it. Okay. Robert Sarbacher, this is this this is one of those things where you know sometimes you read like a UFO account or something and you're just like it just kind of stops you dead in your tracks. You mm-hmm. know? This is one of the things that stops me dead in my tracks. Let me let me tell you and our listeners a little bit about Dr. Robert Sarbacher. Dr. Sarbacher was um, a, a pretty big deal. He died in around, I think, 1986 at the age of 79. Um, he had a doctorate in physics from Harvard University. Um, he studied, studied under Einstein at, at Princeton University. Um, he uh, taught at Harvard. He was the dean of the Georgia Institute of Technology, worked at Oak Ridge. He was a consultant with the U.S. Navy and the Department of Defense Research and Development Board in the 1940s and 50s. Okay. Okay, so in on November 21st, 1950, there was um, a Canadian scientist named Wilbur Smith. And Wilbur Smith wrote a memo to the Canadian Department of Transportation. Smith, for a short time, ran can, the Canadian government uh, UFO investigation group. In 1950, he contacts 
some folks in the Canadian Embassy in Washington, D.C. He's trying to figure out if claims of aliens and crash disks and all that stuff is real or not. Okay. And he ends up talking to Dr. Sarbacher. Dr. Sarbacher tells him um, that saucers exist, wreckage from crashes have been recovered, the subject is the most highly classified subject in the United States, higher than even the H-bomb, and the that group trying to research all of the scientific stuff is led by Dr. Vannevar Bush. So Sarbacher is saying this to this guy, Wilbur Smith, in 1950, okay? Okay. So fast forward to the early 1980s, UFO researchers find this Canadian government memo talking about this, right? And they realize, hey, you know, Sarbacher, he's still alive, right? So folks start writing him letters. They start meeting with him. Um, there's one letter I have here from 1983. Sarbacher is writing to a UFO researcher. And okay, so, so ne- this is 1983, right? So this, this is still a year before these alleged <coughs> MJ-12 documents right. are given to Shandera, right? Right. So, okay. so Sarbacher writes to this UFO researcher, and he says, um, Dr. Vannevar Bush was definitely involved. Uh, about the only thing I remember at this time is that certain materials reported to have come from flying saucer crashes were extremely light and very tough. I am sure our laboratories analyzed them very carefully. There were reports that instruments or people operating these machines were also of very light weight, sufficient to withstand the tremendous deceleration and acceleration associated with the machinery. I remember in talking with some of the people at the office that I got the impression that these aliens were constructed like certain insects we have observed on Earth, wherein because of the low mass of internal forces involved in their operation of their instruments would be quite low. So he's basically saying the aliens, they're not very fat or heavy because they're really light and the g-forces wouldn't hurt them as much i guess because they're light and he goes on to say i still i still do not know why the high order of classification has been given and why the denial of the existence of these devices so here's the thing about sarbacher there's three things that stand out for me that make his testimony incredibly compelling granted he's not claiming to have ever seen an alien or even handled any of the wreckage he's just saying what he's been told that he there were basically like um he was given briefings, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. The three things that stand out for me. First of all, the dude has impeccable credentials in terms of his background and the fact that he worked with the government at the time in the 40s and 50s. And, you know, he had all of the academic de- that's the first thing. The second thing that stands out is he's basically saying, he's sticking to his guns. He's saying the same story in 1950 as he's saying in the early and mid 1980s. That's the next thing that, so it's like a consistent story. He's not like, mm-hmm. and the other thing is it's like, it's not like he's going out there trying to like sell a book or get on TV. It's like people are coming to him and asking all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, "Yeah, this is what I know. This is what I don't know. And that's that. You know, it's not like he's trying to sell something, you know? Right. He's not on Donahue trying to push a narrative, trying to to make a buck. That, yeah, okay, I'll give you that. My 25-cent bet is this. I think there really was a group to investigate UFOs led by Bush. I think in 1983 or whatever... The UFO community is starting to talk to Dr. Sarbacher and learn about this stuff. I think that Doty, with his contacts in the community like Bill Moore, telling him about this stuff, I think Doty or his bosses or whatever realize that there's a problem, that this Sarbacher's guy, his story might get out there and get some credence. I think what they do, they sit down with a typewriter 
around 1983 or 1984, they type up these MJ-12 documents, which are bogus, but they mm-hmm. include some information in there that's legit, like the fact that Vannevar Bush is heading up a group of people to research this stuff. And then they feed it back to the, the research. I mean, it's, the stuff's postmarked Albuquerque. That's Doty country, yeah. you know? Oh, that's, I like that. That's Doty country. Yeah. That is for sure. That's like a bad Marlboro short. Yeah. And, uh, sure. And, and I, I totally think that their intent is... Okay, if if anybody in the future starts saying, "Hey, Dr. Vannevar Bush," I mean, he was involved in that UFO group, right? Mm-hmm. People can say, people can get confused by the issue and say, "Oh, yeah, well, that's what the MJ12 document said, but those are fake, so we can't believe that Bush was involved with this UFO." That's what I think happened in this case. That's my. I, yeah, I mean, I, I I think you make a very compelling case there. I I know I'm pretty sure in Mirageman, one of the things that they um, mention is that um, at one point, I think it's Doty and Moore are talking mm. pre-MJ-12. It might have been Doty and somebody else. I'm, I, I don't use Kindle's highlight uh, function as much as probably I ought to mm. um, or take notes while I'm reading. But um, basically the question is posed, like, you know, who, like, basically who in the government do you think would, like, be included on a project to you know, basically what MJ-12 is doing without actually calling it that. Yeah. Um, and so a number of names are thrown out, and like like 90% of those names end up appearing on the MJ-12 document. Yeah, I mean... You know, you know so there's, there's, there's that going on that goes, okay, well, here's this conversation that happened pre this, and then, oh, look, mm-hmm. like 11 out of 12 names or 10 out of 12 names, whatever it is, end up on this document, but, but what you've got there is a very, very interesting story. I love it when you do that. You have stuff that mm. you don't even put in your notes. Oh. <laughs> and you hit me with this info, Sorry. and I'm like, I totally have an angle, and then you hit me, and I'm like, my angle has changed now, because this <laughs> this makes this makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it, you know? it, it, it's, it's, you know, if aliens and UFOs are real, I would certainly hope that there is or was something like MJ-12, like something like our best and brightest trying to figure this stuff out. Like, I think the scary thing is like the idea that maybe our government is just putting their heads under the cover and not trying to really figure this stuff out. I think that's even scarier, I guess. I don't know. No, I I agree. And and while it's easy to say, oh, well, they used to do that and now they're taking it seriously. I got to admit, man, after reading both of these books, Mm -hmm. um, and, and studying all this kind of stuff, I gotta, I mean, I'm looking at what's out there now and I'm like, are we just, are we just seeing the same patterns again and again and again? Like, I've got, I mean, maybe it's unpopular opinion because so many people are like, oh, Jeremy Corbell, he's so amazing. I, I gotta say, man, unpopular opinion time, some of the stuff that he's put out there has been like, this is amazing. Here's this blurry green blob that might just be a 737 out of focus. I, I gotta, I gotta go out there and say that the Jeremy, Jeremy curves, Jeremy curves, because I can't talk tonight. Um, might be our generation's Bill Warren. Yeah, I, I saw that in the show notes, and I didn't know what you meant by that, but that's fascinating because he made that that Bob Lazar documentary, right? He did, and don't get me wrong. I mean, I like that documentary. Yeah, I dug it too, yeah, but I haven't really followed any of the other stuff he's either claimed or put out there, so it sounds like maybe he's trying to promote some stuff that maybe a little is kind of fishy or maybe it, not fully. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of what has kind of put out recently, like, like he and George Knapp are, you know, are like your index finger and your middle finger crossed right now. <laughs> um, and 
you know, there's a lot of hype that kind of gets built up before they drop something. Mm. And then what gets dropped is, is not very good. Oh, really? You know, one of the things recently is like, oh yeah, there was, there was like, you know, 14 objects kind of like tracking this ship and, and their like special investigations team were out trying to figure out what it is. And what you see is like this absolute potato camera film Hmm. Uh, and, and it's blurry and it's not stable and it's, and, and okay, I get it. Sure. You're on a ship. It may not be stable anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but it's like, it's like two objects and they're blurry lights and it just, hmm. you know, okay, where's 14? Why are you saying 14 and we're saying two? You know, it, it, it there is, there's something there that I kind of feel. And this is a gut feeling. I've got nothing more to prove it than my own intuition. Um, that there may be an element of disinformation at work there. Mm, maybe. And who knows? You know, maybe 30 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, we'll be reading books about this exact thing. Who knows? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. There's And there's so much that passes through here. And, I mean, I realized that, you know, at the top of the show, we said, oh, yeah, we're talking about the Dulce face. But really, the Dulce face is, you know, the Benowitz and Doty story. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's... There is a case for actual underground bases. I mean, Cheyenne Mountain, NORAD, it's mm-hmm. a real thing. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, these things do exist. Mm-hmm. Um, does Dulce Base, as described, um, you know, by people like uh, Myrna Hansen, you know, who under regression talks about, you know, being in the space underground and there's, you know, levels with various alien hybrid human bits floating in tanks, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, stuff like that. Um, um, you know, the, the, the whole, uh, Phil Schneider coming forward and, um, talking about being someone who, who worked there, um, and had been part of a firefight, uh, uh, battling aliens. Yeah. He, he, he lost, um, you know, parts of his fingers yeah. Yeah. and stuff. There's definitely a huge cohort of people who have kind of taken the Dulce myth banner from Benowitz's hands and, and ran forward with it and kind of carried that story forward in more outlandish tales and incidents. You know, like, yeah, exactly. Big firefights between the aliens and the, the, the U.S. humans or whatever you might want to say, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, Schneider in particular, um, which is uh, something demonstrated in um, Adam Gorelli's book, um, is okay yeah he claimed that he was uh to be working at like dulce or area 51 during this uh period where there was allegedly you know this big battle between the humans and the aliens there um but looking at um employment records based off his social security number he was employed at brown's shoe store in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> you know um a, a freedom of information act uh um a foia on him shows the the you know and understandably so you know, we have to treat this seriously. These mental illness is serious. Um, but he suffered from mental illness. He was a self-mutilator. Um, so that kind of goes a step toward explaining the scars he had, explaining uh, missing digits on his hand. Um, he also, and I'm going to say quite insanely, acquired at least 80 pounds of thorium that he kept under his bed. What's, what, what is thorium? Thorium is radioactive material. Uh, so, uh, okay. ladies and gentlemen, despite what we see in the opening scenes of Back to the Future, <laughs> yeah. it is not safe to just keep open thorium <laughs> under your bed. You need to keep it in a radioactive, you know, safe container. He wasn't doing that. Run for um, it, Marty! 
Pretty much, pretty much. I have not seen actual any uh, Libyans involved in the story so far, but who knows mm. at this point, you know? But yeah, th- this again, like you were saying, there are these other people who kind of like pick up the banner and, and it's all very sensational stuff, you know? And for, for whatever reason, whatever their motivations are, mm-hmm. you know, they, they want to insert themselves into this narrative, whether it's an actual narrative or whether it's a disinformation narrative, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, right? You know, and and unfortunately, you know, Schneider falls into that camp of you know just kind of going off uh, the deep end. Mm-hmm. Um, and there, there's there's one quote from um, Saucer Spooks and Fooks that I'd like to read because this is um, you know this is something really important I think to keep in mind. It, it says that the common denominator. Uh, linking these conspiracy ufology casualties is a form of paranoia that sneaks up on one gradually, the result of consuming a steady conspiratorial diet combined with a lack of filters in place that typically keep one from going off the rails. Mm. Um, I mean, we, we can just look at modern politics right now to kind of see this exact thing happen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of transcended, you know, the conspiracy ufology realm in a lot of ways. Um, but that is something that those of us who kind of like get into this and sometimes spend too much time getting into this, we kind of have to keep in mind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I had a time a number of years ago now, probably four or five years ago, where, you know, a lot of what I was listening was a lot of kind of conspiracy laden like podcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I kind of really started feeling out of sorts um, and and got to a point where I was like, okay, I need to pare back what I'm listening to because my mind is not going to a place where you're. Right, right. Um, so I get that. I get how that happened uh, to people and how it can happen gradually. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, especially if in the case of Benowitz, the thing that you think you're uncovering is so dark. I mean, the, the, the idea that it's not like benevolent aliens coming just to explore right. and, you know, research what humans are all about or whatever. But no, these are the messed up aliens who want to put us in a big vat of soup or take over the earth or something, you know? Right. Or, you know, make hybrid um, creatures, children, mm-hmm. hack up our cows, whatever. Totally. Uh, it is. It is. It's a very kind of like dark angle this is not you know the the like more benevolent uh like vowel four era mm-hmm. um aliens that we're getting you know we've, we've, we've got our grays we've got our mantids and stuff that that, that kind of permeate this and, and then obviously a lot of a lot of this stuff i mean let's take it forward a little bit further you see this kind of working to the mythology of shows like the x-files mm-hmm. yeah big time. you know or 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 the the uh, I would say very underappreciated Dark Skies. Like, that was a great show. Mm, okay. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all it's all really kind of wild. And, you know, I mean, again, I highly recommend uh, either watching or reading Mirage Men, or both, um, and definitely reading Saucer Spooks and Poops because it, it goes so much deeper mm. than we could possibly cover in one episode um, of our show. Um, but I know one of the things that had come up, obviously, was Roswell. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to share a little bit of information that I read in Saucer Spooks and Poops yeah. that maybe possibly accounts for the Roswell incident. Hmm. Okay. And and again, 
goes much deeper into it than I'm going to. I'm just going to get this kind of high level overview. But this was something I'd never heard about before, mm. um, and so I want to bring it up and maybe get your your take on it. Okay. Um, so it's suggested in this book that um, Roswell was indeed a hushed up crash, but of an experimental U.S. craft that was piloted by subjects acquired from Fort Stanton, um, which is. Uh, not far from the uh, crash site at Foster Ranch, um, where a guy named Dr. Lovelace uh, was using uh, German and Japanese POWs or, and this, this hurts to say, handicapped folk. Yeah. Um, and it just, like, like the timelines of stuff and the locations of stuff kind of line up in a way in go right with his reasoning where it's like well maybe yeah it I just mean, gives me enough to go that like okay this this has a kernel of possibility to it but it also made me going oh here's a new piece of information i've never heard this story before yeah i mean it it, it sounds a lot like there's a there's a book uh there's a lady named uh annie jacobson and she wrote yes. a, a history of area 51 yeah i have that book on my shelf it's an yeah. excellent book there's a, there's a, it reminds me a lot of a story she relates near the end of the book that claims that what actually crashed at Roswell was um, advanced German aircraft sent over by the Soviets and and stuffed with like uh, like concentration camp victims. Uh, yes, you and, know I remember reading that. And it, it sort of sounds like what you're talking about—the idea that the crash was a completely human-made vehicle packed with um, unwilling. And unfortunate individuals, you know. Yeah. Uh, really weird postscript to that story, though. Um, I recently listened to a interview with George Knapp, and George Knapp um, claims to have, uh, back in the '90s, I think, tracked down a guy who there's a there's a really big government contractor it's a private company called eg and g yep and they, they do a lot of i mean for real i mean they no conspiracy theory they do a lot of work at like area 51 classified work. yeah they they run a lot of um, nuclear facilities around the country that make weapons um there was a guy or there is a guy i think he's still alive he was a really old time senior engineer with eg and apparently according to nap he was the gentleman that provided annie jacobson with that that soviet saucer story oh okay but Knapp claims that when he spoke with him in the '90s, he was telling a completely different yarn, which was that the Roswell wreckage is at Area 51. It was completely extraterrestrial, and there was even a living alien at the base for a time. Um, okay. And the guy claims that he filmed a tape, a testimony, saying all of this, and that it'll be released after he died. Or... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you know, that's the thing about this topic. It leads in so many different angles. I mean, touching on Roswell. I could talk for two hours about what I think about Roswell, and I know we right. will have to save that for another night. But it's definitely food for thought. What you're talking about the idea that it's a uh, um, it, it was a human human made craft, I guess you might say. You know. Yeah. Um, and, and again, it is it is it is part of myth and legend, and you know, in a lot of ways, signal and noise. Well, I mean, getting back to Kirtland Air Force Base, I mean, right. there's. There's an. I hope we do an episode where it's, I can work into it. There's there's something called the Lovelace Medical Facility just south of Kirtland. I think it's south of, and it's it's very rarely mentioned in UFO literature, but I'm really convinced that it's central to if there really were like alien autopsy stuff like that. And I, I really don't. I can't feel like I can't get into it tonight. But I wonder if this is the same Doctor Lovelace. Uh, I'm gonna have to. It might I'm be. Gonna, I'm gonna have to look at my my highlighted sections of. 
of, of Adam's book here. I, I just want to tease it. I did find something, a real document, that I don't think anybody else anywhere in the UFO community has ever found. And it stopped me dead in my track. It was oh. that, it was that, it was, it was, it was legitimately freaky, legitimate. Um, no, no exaggeration, but yeah, so. Well, can you, can you tease it at all? Or can you just email it to me? <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll completely tell you. I think if I started telling the story now, it would probably take me about 45 minutes. And I don't know if the, our listeners would, would, uh, I'll tell you, I'll tell you after we stop recording. Okay. Okay. Fair point. And I'll be honest, I'm looking very quickly at my notes here, and I don't, you know what, I didn't highlight the stuff about Lovelace, darn it. Um, yeah, I'll have to go back and, and, and look in the appropriate chapter to see if it mentions this place uh, outside or near, near Kirtland, <clears throat> to see if it is the same Dr. Lovelace. That would be interesting. Well, I don't know about you, Seb. I mean, my whole take on much of this is that um, truths are likely being sandwiched between sensational lies. Mm -hmm. Like Cigarette Smoking Man once said, um, I think people prefer the sensational. Mm -hmm. And so they capitalize on all of that and and obviously doing, I'm sure, some of their own embellishments along the way. Um, And from that grow these myths, Mm -hmm. maybe still with a kernel of truth in them, maybe not. And out of that, over time, grows the legend. Mm-hmm. Um, and many, I mean, if not most, by that point, take the legend as reality. Mm. Um, and it forever clouds us from what really happened or is happening. I, I don't know how you feel about a lot of this stuff, but it's kind of where I land at the end of the day. Sure. I, I, think, I think the biggest thing that I take away from the Dulcie story is just the fact that, you know, in the 1950s, I think there was a feeling amongst the government that you, belief in UFOs was something that could potentially be dangerous to the government. But I think that the Dulcie story shows us that that same government at certain times and in certain places can feel that UFO stories are actually a benefit to them, you know, yes. whether it's covering up, you know, the existence of the U-2 spy plane with the cover story of alien UFO sightings, or in the case of Paul Benowitz, you know, the, the story of the underground alien base at Dulce, New Mexico. I think, I think that's what, that's what my big takeaway is from it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. And not to mention that, you know, Dodie was even pushing the narrative that, you know, we, we had, you know, an alien staying with us for a while and then like, you know, um, like going to summer camp, he eventually went back home. I gave it a gender. I don't know. Maybe it's a she. Maybe it's an it. Who knows? Right. Um, and then, and then another one took its place for like another twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's there's just so much going on mm-hmm. in this, and I I'm I'm confident there's probably some stuff that will get done with recording, or I'll wake up tomorrow morning and be like, oh, I totally forgot to mention you know these three things. There's so much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in this story. We, I'm not joking. When we sat down and said, "Oh yeah, Dulcie base, this would be a nice, <laughs> yeah, easy topic." Knock it out. Yeah, it's just minutes, this base, no you know. And then it, it just unfolded in this absolute, um, you know, fractal of so many, um, you know, tenets of ufology that that still permeate uh, our studies. Mm, yeah. Um, so, folks. You know, I, I will always encourage you, go and do your own research. And if you decide to dive into this rabbit hole, um, you know, expect to go in many different directions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, maybe you'll find something you don't find. But what something that Seb did find 
was his descent into the archives because every month Seb's going to dig into the old timey newspaper archives to unearth the story of high strangeness. And Seb, what do we have this month? Yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have an article from the San Bernardino Sun newspaper from November 3rd, 1987, entitled Space Professor Urged to Get Psychiatric Help. Basically, oh dear. Basically, today we've been talking about an underground alien base in New Mexico, and I felt a little jealous. I felt that California should have its own underground alien base as well. So the uh, newspaper article goes on to say, Calling him an embarrassment to Chaffee College, teachers at the Rancho Cucamonga School said Monday, they asked English professor Arnold Arias to seek psychiatric help for his obsession with UFOs. Um, and it says, but his students, not at all are embarrassed by his belief, described Arias as a caring, charismatic individual. In the story, Arias said he moved to Upland in 1985 to be near what he is sure is an underground base for unidentified flying saucers. He described seeing UFOs earlier that year in the canyons above the city. He said the spaceships left a blue-green afterglow and the exhaust smelled of burnt sugar. Um, really? Burnt sugar, huh? Over the course of the next couple years, there's a number of additional newspaper articles about this uh, eccentric college professor. Um, there's one really nice article where his students vote him as the uh, faculty member of the year in 1988. So apparently he was a really, really, really great teacher and beloved by his students. Well, that's good. But unfortunately, he eventually uh, did get the boot from that little college. Um, apparently, uh, the last day on the job, he uh, gave an essay test to his students. And uh, there were two questions on the test. Uh, one of the, according to the newspaper article, one of the questions on the test was, I am for or against transforming Chaffee College into a Martian research and colonization omniversity, not university, omniversity. Wow. And the second question on the essay quiz, I am for or against transforming Chaffee College into a paradise planet poly university. So, I don't know. Uh, but... Uh, I definitely thought it was interesting that he was claiming that California also had a ground alien base. Uh, yeah. Apparently, he had his students refer to him sometimes with the weird name Aristar, A-R-I-Star, Aristar. Um, and, uh, you know, I never, apparently he, he peppered his English classes and lectures with tales of Martians and secret military tunnels and all sorts of things. Um, yeah, like, like racing bikes. Yes, like racing bikes. Um, and it's it's a shame because I actually, you know, after the 19, late 1980s, he kind of falls off the radar. I, I, I couldn't find him on social media or anything like that. So I hope he's well, still maybe, out there and well and all that Maybe stuff. he went underground. He might have gone to Mars. You never dun, know. Dun, dun. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he went to, to, to Planet Serpa, which is a whole Richard Doty thing that we didn't even oh. touch tonight. Oh, we, we did. We did not go to Serpo. This is true. oh boy, oh boy. Yeah, that geez. that could be an episode all by itself. Right, right, right. Ugh. Oh man, that's crazy. That's um, I don't know that that is as much as I'm an English major and right. I enjoy that kind of stuff. I'm not sure that those are essay topics I could easily tackle. Right. Yeah. That's those are interesting. Yeah. Oh well. Oh man. Yeah. Oh, Seb, thank you as always. Thank you for all oh, your research and you. your insight. Um, we may have uh, listeners all on Twitter, on Twitter, uh, <laughs> wondering what it is uh, you've come across. Oh gosh, it was. It, it, I'm probably I'm probably overselling it, but it definitely was the kind of thing that made that kind of freaked me out a little bit. Well, nothing like a good freak out, but it sounds like July has been something of a freak out for 
both of us. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully August will be better for us all and and that is it for this month that's that's thank you for joining us this august um and thank you for joining us on this adventure into the weirdness that surrounds us every day whether it's real or whether it's disinformation if you have an experience you want to share with us or if you have questions email us please at allnightgeeks at gmail.com you can follow us on instagram and twitter at allnightgeeks you can follow me at busbuddha71 and you can follow sab at Clan McMuffin. I indeed. Hey, subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Stitcher. I'm going to say Spotify, um, but I have been alerted to the fact that for some reason, um, everything after our first episode on Spotify is appearing but not playing. And we don't really know why that is. Um, so we're working to get that figured out. We got too close to the truth, man. Uh, or something. I mean, honestly, I, I you know... Get it on my podcast app, which is called Pocket Casts. It plays just fine. It plays on Apple. It plays on SoundCloud. Um, it plays through the site just fine. So it's, for some reason, it's only Spotify where this is happening. And, and we are working to figure it out. But if that is where you normally go for your podcasts and you want to listen to us there, you may have some trouble. You may want to uh, grab an alternate feed just for a little while. And please, be sure to rate and review us as well, especially once we get that feed up and running normally again on Spotify. Um, and just as importantly, please share us with your friends. Word of mouth goes a long way to spread the love around, and we would appreciate it if you tell at least one friend about the podcast. Um, as always, we want to give big thanks to the Ghoulies for letting us use Hot Rods from Outer Space from their album Midnight in America as our intro and outro music. Please Give them a follow on social media and hit up thegooliesdenver.bandcamp.com to buy their music. We've got merchandise. That's over at shop.spreadshirt.com slash N-O-T-L-G. Yeah, shirts, buttons, stickers, go check that out. And also huge thanks, as always, to Kate the Steam Powered Mouse for doing the show's artwork. Um, I hate to say it, uh, Delta variant is making the pandemic worse again. Um, if you haven't gotten vaccinated, go get vaccinated. And you know what? Keep that mask handy and wear it. Uh, please also help out local artists, help out local businesses, support them first. But if you also want to throw a few bones our way, you can do that over at patreon.com slash Um That's it for this month. We will catch you next month. And in the meantime, get out and find something weird. Good night. Okay, and then before I dive into my opening, I will probably just be quiet for 20 seconds. Oh, okay. So that's that's what I'll do. Okay. Pardon me. Hi there. How you doing? There's our outro.